Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for... Just this opportunity to break the bread of your word with your people. And I pray for you to just uh, minister to our hearts via your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for answered prayers. We pray for understanding, for fresh insight. We pray for safety on the grounds, Lord. And thank you, Lord, uh, for our security team, those in the sound booth, and just for everyone, Lord, who's just who took time out of their busy schedules to come out and serve you and serve others in the name of our Lord. And I pray, Father, that you will be glorified in this lesson tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Second Samuel 19, verses 19 through 43. And the title of the message is A King for Everyone. A King for Everyone. And so it's been a couple of weeks, and so I um, want to give a quick review on what has taken place so far so that we'll have a context uh, for the study. And so, so far, uh, David had had his moment to grieve for his rebellious son, Absalom. But David, the king of Israel, the true king of Israel, he had fallen too deep into grief, too deep into mourning. And so Joab, his commander at the time, and also his nephew, by the way, He stepped in and he pretty much told David to snap out of it and get it together. He had a job to do. He won the victory against his rebellious son, Absalom, and those who decided to rebel alongside Absalom. And so now the people are excited because of the victory. They are excited uh, that you get to be restored to your throne. And so you have to get it together, uh, David. The people are beginning to feel bad for winning. And meanwhile, while that was going on, the northern tribes of Israel, uh, they got together and they discussed bringing back the exiled David as king. Now that Absalom, his rebellious son, was dead, the one who tried to usurp the throne, now that he was dead, uh, those northern tribes, 10 of them, they decided to bring back David to his rightful place on that throne. And so David, of course, got wind of their meeting. He got wind of their discussion. And then he reached out to his own tribe, the tribe of Judah. And he reached out to them through the priests. And he reached out to them because he wanted to figure out, well, how come the northern tribes, those 10 other tribes, uh, how come they decided to uh, restore me or at least discuss restoring me as king, but there's nothing from you. You have not decided to restore me and I'm, I'm your own flesh and, and blood. I'm from this same tribe. And so after reaching out to the tribe of Judah through the priests, the tribe of Judah, they were persuaded to do just that and bring back David to his throne. And so the scriptures tell us uh, that the tribe of Judah, that they went out in order to escort David across the Jordan River. 
so that now he'll be on the west side of the Jordan River in the, in the kingdom of Israel. And so as David and his family crossed over, various people went out to meet him. And then during that time, there was this guy named Shimei who also went out to meet David as he crossed over. And the scriptures tell us that Shimei fell down before the king. He prostrated himself before King David when King David had crossed over the Jordan River on his way back to Jerusalem. And so this is where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 19. It says, then he, he being Shimei, he said to the king, Do not let my Lord impute iniquity or guilt to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem, that the king should not take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king." Now, the scriptures tell us that Shimei was actually from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was also the same tribe as the first king of Israel, King Saul, the man who hated David and wanted to kill him. But of course, King Saul is dead at this point. But Shimei, getting back to him, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so why why does it say that he's the first to come today of all the house of Joseph? Well, first of all, there were two tribes that came from Joseph. And these two tribes that came from him that received inheritance in the land of Israel were Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, now Ephraim was a large tribe and it represented the northern tribes of Israel And so what he's saying here is that the house of Joseph is a reference to all Israel. So so what he's saying is that I'm the first to come today of all the house of Israel, of the northern tribes. But in verse 21, it says, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you? Or in other words, he's saying, do we agree on anything, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? And he goes on to say, shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? This is a day to celebrate. You're talking about killing somebody. Therefore, verse 23, the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. He, he made that promise to him. Now, now this Shimei is the same guy who cursed David and threw stones at him as David was escaping Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Because remember, David was escaping his rebellious son, Absalom. And as he was doing that with the people who supported him, Shimei was cursing him and throwing stones at him. 
But now on David's way back to Jerusalem, the same guy who cursed him and threw rocks at him is now asking for mercy. He's now asking for forgiveness from King David. And I take a a lesson from this, a spiritual lesson from this for us. And that lesson is that if we sin, it is important to ask our king, our Lord for forgiveness. And when we ask the Lord for forgiveness, when we confess our sins to him, it is actually a sign of humility. And humility is something that the Lord loves Because in James chapter 4, verse 6, and this is the second half of this verse, it says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, to those who show humility. And they show humility because uh, they have a humble heart, because they are humble And once again, forgiveness, asking the Lord for forgiveness, admitting our wrongs, admitting our sin, that takes some humility. And the Lord loves that. He gives grace to those who are humble. And grace, by the way, is God's unmerited favor. It is unearned. It is not something that you can work for. It is not something you can purchase. It is a gift of God. Forgiveness, anything we have from God, any blessing we have from God is because of his grace. We don't earn it. We can't, we don't deserve it. We can't work for it. And so King David was merciful to this man, Shimei. And it's actually, by the way, the second time that King David spared Shimei's life. Because the first time was when Shimei was actually cursing David and throwing stones at him. And Abishai, his, one of his nephews, actually wanted to take him out. But David said, no, because maybe he's cursing me because maybe this is from the Lord. Because David was... But, you know, he was a man after God's own heart, but he had also sinned, of course, with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed. And so he thought, well, maybe this is just a consequence from the Lord. So let Shimei curse me and throw rocks, whatever he's doing. So Abishai, don't kill him. So that's the first time that David spared his life. And, and in tonight's lesson, we also see the second time that David was merciful and spared his life. And now this time it's on his way back that he spared his life. However, just so you know what's coming, if you continue to read the scriptures, King David will, let, will later tell his son, King Solomon, who will be the future king of Israel. He will later on tell Solomon, his son, hey, this is what Shimei did to me. You take care of it. You're a man of wisdom. You take care of it. And so, yes, Shimei will later be put to death, but under King Solomon's reign. But, but David, of course, kept his word. He, he didn't kill him. He didn't have him killed under his reign. And so when I think about that mercy that David had shown to Shimei twice, once again, it's just a great reminder of our God and of our king who is a merciful God and a merciful king. Our God, our King, he forgives sins. And having our sins forgiven is actually an underrated blessing. 
Uh, We're so used to, in our prayers, asking God for things and we thank him for obvious things like food and shelter and we thank him for our health and for keeping us safe and we thank him for our families and so forth. But, But many times we may overlook the fact that forgiveness is a blessing and it is an underrated blessing that we receive from the Lord. And how do I know that forgiveness is a blessing? Well, Psalm 32 verse 1 tells us it says blessed is he whose transgression that is whose rebellion or sin is forgiven whose sin is covered so if you are a christian if you are a bible believing christian today and you have your sins forgiven blessed are you and blessed here means happy happy are you that your transgression that your rebellion that your sin is forgiven. Your sin is covered. As a matter of fact, because of the blood of Jesus, and we talked about him shedding his blood on that cross, on on Calvary, on that hill. Because of his blood, our sins have actually been washed away. And so we thank God for that blessing of forgiveness. In verse 24, it says, now Mephibosheth It says the son of Saul, and he was actually the grandson of Saul. He came down to meet the king, speaking of David, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. And so you can imagine what his toenails look like. I mean, you can look at probably some of your family members and, and, you, and you know what toes look like, toenails could look like if they're not cared for. And so every now and then, I don't know how they get out of control, but every now and then I can see my toenails and I'm like, wow, okay, I need to take care of this. They're, they're starting to turn colors and everything. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I had to take care of my feet. I had to, you know, clip the nails. And I was just, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but I was just sharing this with somebody else. Uh, Maybe a week ago, um, you know, I'm trying to be all tough and manly. And, you know, my my wife, she, you know, goes and get, you know, pedicures and stuff like that. And so I think on my birth, no, yeah, it was my birthday last year. You know, you want to get a pedicure? And I'm like, no, I was, I was so hesitant to get a pedicure. And, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But then I finally give in because she got one of my other male family members who I really love, you know, to go as well. And he and his wife. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. All right, let's check it out. And so I go in there and a long story short, I could see why you ladies like the pedicures. I didn't get my nails. I don't do the painting and stuff. So don't paint my toes and fingers and stuff like that. But but I can see why my wife likes it. And so she wants to do that again. Hey, I'm open for it. Just, you know, hold off on the paint. And so I don't, I don't, I don't do that. But, but anyway, you see this man's toes, his feet, they're not cared for. He didn't trim his mustache. He didn't, wow, he didn't wash his clothes. And I don't know exactly how many days that David was gone, how many days he was exiled. But it, it, was, for, it was for a while. And so what this shows for Mephibosheth is that he was saddened by the fact that David was gone. He was mourning. And we get that just based on his appearance. He just, it's almost like he just stopped living. 
And so for many of us today as believers, maybe we are in this position. Our king, Jesus Christ, has not come, has not come back yet. Nearly 2,000 years ago, first century, you know, he ascended back to heaven. And we've been waiting for him to come back ever since. And life is getting strange. Life is getting tough and rough. And we're seeing some disgusting things that's going on. And we are longing to see our king. Unfortunately, there's some people who are just, you know, of course, saddened because he hasn't come back yet. And due to that, they're just, just not living as they should be. Not serving as they should be. Not doing the work of the ministry as they should be. And so, in other words, just allowing their lives to become disheveled, just like Mephibosheth's life was disheveled when the king was away. But, but just because our king right now is away, he's in, he's in heaven, he has, he's at the right hand of the father. Doesn't mean that we stop living. Doesn't mean that we stop serving. In fact, it says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here's the part I wanted to highlight. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So anybody, any believer who has that hope uh, of seeing Jesus one day, whether it's in the rapture or whether we, we go home to be uh, with the Lord, we, we die before the rapture takes place. And in either case, we, we're, we're longing to see that day. We have that hope within us that we're going to See him that he's going to be revealed. And everyone who has that hope in him, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. So in other words, we don't stop living. We don't become disheveled in our lifestyle. And in fact, we allow the word of God and the spirit of God to help us to live pure lives the way that he wants us to live. And so our lifestyle should be the lifestyle that Jesus lives, but we don't do it on our own. Once again, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ is living his life through us. And so everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, while the king is away, don't allow yourselves to be disheveled, to become disheveled and, and look like you're just not taking care of yourself spiritually but continue to serve, continue to walk according to the word of God, continue to, to walk in holiness. And holiness, by the way, is an attribute of God that he's willing to share with us. Now, there are some, and I shared this before, there are some attributes of God that he cannot share with us. But there are some like holiness that he's willing to share. That's why he says things like this in the scriptures, be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. But we don't become holy on our own. We can only be holy in Christ Jesus. First of all, positionally, we're in Christ. We're declared righteous. We are holy. We are set apart from him. But now, as we begin to live life, what we are in position, we are now to become in practice. In position, we're holy. 
and our position in Christ is holy. We're set apart, but, but now we must practice holiness. Again, that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 25, back in 2 Samuel chapter 19, it says, So it was when he had come to Jerusalem, and some translations say when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my, my servant Ziba deceived or betrayed me. And so that's who the servant is. So I added Ziba just so you can know who that is. And, and Mephibosheth said, for your servant said, so in other words, Mephibosheth is saying, here, are, here were my intentions. This is what I said. I will saddle a donkey for myself that I might ride on it and go to the king because your servant, in other words, I am lame. But of course, we read that, that Ziba went ahead of him. And, and in verse 27, it says, as Mephibosheth keeps speaking, He said, and he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. And he says, therefore, do what is good in your eyes for all my father's house or all of my grandfather's family were but dead men before my Lord, the king. He says, yet you set your servant among those who eat at your table. Therefore, what right have I to still cry out anymore to the king? And so Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son and King Saul's grandson, he remembered how gracious David had already been to him because David allowed him being a descendant of King Saul. He allowed him to live. You see, David didn't take revenge on him just because he was Saul's offspring or uh, descendant. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, uh, it says that David also restored the land of Saul to Mephibosheth. David even allowed him to eat at his table continually. And so David had been a blessing to him. He had been gracious to Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth recalled that he remembers that. And so it says that he didn't feel that he had a right to ask anything else. From David, I don't have a right to ask for any more help from you. You've you've done enough. And, and right there, I want to park because it just makes me think about our God, because our God and I'm talking about the God of the Bible, our Lord, he has blessed us so much. It's almost like we could say the same thing that Mephibosheth said, he, that he blessed us so much. He's been so gracious to us. What right have we to complain if we don't get our way? When, when things don't seem to be falling in line the way we think it should fall in line, what right do we have to complain? Because he's already blessed us with so much blessed us. And we talked about this with forgiveness. He blessed us with life, not just physical life, but for those of us who, who trust in Jesus for salvation, he's blessed us with spiritual life. He provides for us. He's blessed us so much. So what right do we have to complain? In verse 29, it says, so the king said to him, that is to Mephibosheth, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather, you know what? King David, let him take it all. 
Inasmuch as my Lord the King has come back in peace to his own house or to his own palace. And so Mephibosheth's response showed that he was really loyal to King David, despite what King David heard from Ziba. Ziba, once again, is Mephibosheth's servant. David put Ziba in charge of taking care of Mephibosheth's need, Ziba and, and his sons and so forth. But Ziba, he, he went to King David and he slandered. He slandered Mephibosheth before the king. He told him that he stayed back in Jerusalem but he, because he was hoping that the kingdom would return to him, to his bloodline, being a descendant of Saul. But of course, that wasn't true. And so just looking at his response, looking at Mephibosheth's response, you know, he lost half the land because half of it went to Ziba here, as you see in verse 29. But instead of Mephibosheth becoming upset with that, he, he was like, you know what? He can have all of it because you're back. And so what that really shows is that Ziba was the one who was really lying and that Mephibosheth was really the loyal one. Because it showed that, that Mephibosheth was more concerned about the king's presence than with the possessions. And I just wonder tonight, are you more concerned with having the king's presence in your life than with the blessings that he gives? So are you more pleased with having the blesser in your life, with having a relationship with the blesser, with the king of kings, Lord of lords? Are you more happy with the relationship with him than getting all the blessings from him? In other words, do you have the same heart that Mephibosheth had that, that he is displaying in our lesson today? In verse 31, it says, And Barzillai the Gileadite, he came down from Ragalim and he went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. And now Barzillai was a very aged man. So you saw, see all these characters who are participating in David coming back to Jerusalem um, you know, taking the, the throne that God had placed him on. And so now you see this new guy, Barzillai. It, he was 80 years old. He provided the king with supplies while he stayed at uh, Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, come across with me and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live? That I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. He says, I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my Lord, the king? And he says, your servant will go a little way across the Jordan. That's the Jordan River with the king. And. Your servant turned back again. I'm sorry. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai, and he blessed him. And 
returned to his own place. So Barzillai returned to his own place. So here we see that David offered to take care of Barzillai, uh, this 80-year-old man who had been a blessing to him while he was in exile. But we see that Barzillai turned it down due to his age. He says, some things in my life and my body have diminished. I can't enjoy the things. I don't enjoy the things that I used to. So you know what? I'm just going to go back home. But you know what? Take, take my son. And many commentators believe that Chimham is Barzillai's son. So take Chimham with you and, and let him be blessed by you in my place. And of course, David received that. And so this just reminds us of the fact that the Lord will also bless us for our faithful service and generosity. And so the, the earthly king, David, was willing to bless someone for their generosity. If he was able to do that, if he was willing to do that, then how much more will the, our greater than David, Jesus Christ, be willing to reward us for faithful service and for generosity, for being generous? And by the way, one way we can be generous to the Lord is to be generous to the Lord's servants. And this principle, by the way, is illustrated in the judgment of the nations at the second coming of Christ. And so if you will, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 40. So again, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, and what we're looking at is the the, the, the principle that uh, the Lord rewards faithful service and generosity, you know, especially to his servants. And so in Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So this is not the rapture. Okay, so that. The rapture has already taken place. The church had been snatched up already. The church is, was in heaven uh, with the Lord, glorified bodies. While on the earth, there was seven years of tribulation. So now the seven years of tribulation where God is pouring his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting earth, where the Antichrist is the world leader. So, so that's taken place, done. Now the second coming is taking place here. So that's what we just uh, started reading about in verse 31 of Matthew 25. It says, after that, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd devises sheep from the goats. And so this is what we call um, the judgment of, of the nations. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. And so these are people who survived in their non-glorified bodies. They survived the tribulation. And so these are these are believing Jews. These are believing Gentiles who survived the tribulation. And, and some are separated to the right hand, to the left. Okay. In this illustration, the sheep, of course, in this illustration will represent uh, those who put their faith in Christ during the tribulation period. And these are what you would call post-rapture saints. You have post-rapture saints. Then you have those Jews who come to faith um, in Christ during the tribulation period. And so those are the sheep at the right hand. 
And so the king is saying to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. Clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see that principle there that the Lord rewards uh, faithful service and generosity to his servants. And so you see that, that, that close relationship that Jesus has with believers. And so whatever you do for or to believers, it's like you're doing it to Christ or for Christ. And he rewards that, once again, that faithful service. He rewards that generosity, just like we see here in our example, how King David was willing to do that for Barzillai. And so with this is not teaching, by the way, because some of you may be wondering, this is not teaching. And I'm speaking of what we read in Matthew 25. It is not uh, teaching a works-based salvation. Oh, if we just do good for people and, and, you know, whatever, then that automatically means that we go to heaven. It's not teaching a works-based salvation. Rather, what we're seeing here is that the good treatment of believers is actually evidence of their faith. And so we're not saved by good works, but we're, we're saved uh, to do good works. And so the salvation comes first, and then the good works follow. The, the, you know, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. So in other words, the works that follow is going to correlate with the true faith that we have, not that we're saved by works. So this is not what it's talking about. It's just like how it is, and I like to use this illustration with, with the Sabbath day. You know, with the Sabbath day in the Old Testament and so forth, what you saw was there were six days of work. And then on the seventh day was the day of rest. So they worked first and then they rested. But, but now Jesus has fulfilled our Sabbath day. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. It tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come unto me, all you who labor and you heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. He is our rest. And so you see the reverse of that, which you see in the Old Testament, works first, then rest. But in the New Testament, in Christ Jesus, who was our new Sabbath, what we see is that we rest in Christ first. We rest in him first. You're saved first, and then you work afterwards. Rest in him first and then the works follow. And so in verse 40, it says, Now the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him and all the people or the troops of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and they said to him, why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? You see, some people just can't let happy times be happy times. Somebody always have to stir up some mess. And so this is what we see here. So in verse 42, as I continue, it says, So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense 
Or has he given us any gift? Or in other words, have we received any favors from him? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, and they said, We have ten shares, or ten tribes' shares in the king. Therefore, we also have more right or claim to David than you do. Why then do you despise us? This is what those ten northern tribes are talking about. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first uh, to advise bringing back or restoring our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah, they were more fiercer. They were more unkindly, in other words, than the words of the men of Israel. So previously in our studies here in 2 Samuel, we saw many from the nation of Israel. We saw many of them uh, turn their backs on David and they supported his rebellious son, Absalom, who wanted to usurp the throne. They supported the rebellion. Many of them did. Uh, but now we see that the 10 northern tribes of Israel and, and Judah, they're now fighting about him. At first, some of them were willing to fight against him. Now they are fighting for him. They're fighting about him. You see, one side claimed to have advice to bring him back as king first. And they, have, and they said that they have more claim on David because, look, we're the majority. We have the claim on him. And then you have the other side claiming to be a close relative of David. He's from our tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah. We're a close relative. You see, but in reality, David was a king for the entire nation of Israel. Why? Because God had appointed him as the king of that nation. But in the same way, our greater than David, Jesus Christ, the, the, the true king, the king of kings. In that same way, Jesus is a king for everyone. He's a king who is available to everyone, to those who have a Jewish nationality. Jesus is a king for them, to those who are of any nationality, those who are of any ethnic group. Jesus could be your king. If, if you have a certain skin tone, skin color, whatever the case is, if you speak any language, it doesn't matter. Jesus is a king for everyone. Oh, oh but but I, I, I'm under this socioeconomic status or I'm in this profession and it's not as fancy as this other profession. Well, well, Jesus is a king for everyone. But 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 I'm male and I'm female. Is he a, can he be a king for me, too? Yes, he can. The scriptures teach us. And and so it's no matter or it doesn't matter what your struggles are. It, really doesn't matter what sin or sins you've committed. It doesn't matter what your age is. We saw that Barzillai was 80 years old. It doesn't matter what your age is or, or all of these other factors that I've mentioned. I just want to share with you tonight that Jesus is a king for everyone, just like King David was a king for the entire nation of Israel. Although they were fighting with each other, they were bickering with each other. And this king, this king Jesus that we're speaking of tonight, he wants a personal relationship with you. And in this personal relationship, you become the servant. He becomes the master or Lord. You become the saved and he becomes your savior. You become the disciple or the pupil or student, if you will, and he becomes the teacher. And this relationship with him, we become sheep. And he becomes 
our shepherd. And also in this relationship with him, we become the citizen and he becomes our king. Uh, but, but why enter into this relationship with King Jesus. And some people are, oh, I don't want to be ruled over. I don't want to be stepped on and and all this stuff. I don't want to be oppressed. So why should I enter into this relationship with King Jesus? I would say look past uh, the, the physical. You know, have some of those strongholds that you have torn down because what strongholds are these are not things by the way when you see it in the scripture it talks about strongholds strongholds are not something that has a hold on you well a stronghold is you know this pretty much it's a fortress and so they're they're spiritual fortresses or arguments so to speak that people use in order to protect the belief system that they have and it's often a faulty belief system but the scriptures tell us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through God for pulling down of strongholds and so what we do when we when we pull down strongholds is we cast down arguments so any argument that goes against the truth any argument that goes against the word of God, any argument that people use to protect their faulty belief system, those arguments must be torn down. And so some people have these strongholds up protecting the faulty belief system. And so when they hear that Jesus wants to be your king, they are thinking automatically of oppression. Well, well, we want to cast down we want to pull down those spiritual strongholds and we want you to see the big spiritual picture about entering into a relationship with king jesus because when we enter into a relationship with king jesus you'll receive forgiveness in other words because you receive forgiveness your life spiritually will be spared because you won't have to experience the consequence of sin, which is death. That is eternal separation for God, from God. And, and so enter into that relationship, we receive that blessing once again of forgiveness, which we heard a lot. We'll also be giving, given eternal life if we have a relationship with this true king, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but you become a citizen of heaven. And just like how David wanted to do for Barzillai, our king will take care of us. But do you want Jesus to be your king or is he just some cool person who has some cool teachings here and there? And so, of course, much of that was speaking to a person who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I know many of you, and I know that, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, just, just knowing you and speaking to you. And I, I see your faces all the time. And, and so maybe some of you who maybe I have not met or some of you online who already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe he's already your savior. Maybe you already received him as your Lord. Maybe you already received him as your king. But here's the question. Are you being selfish with your king? Just like these northern tribes were trying to be selfish and the, the, the tribe of Judah, they're going against each other. Selfishness was involved. So are we being selfish with our king? But, but how can we be selfish with Jesus? Well, we can make some people feel like their sin 
It's too much for him to forgive. So you're not worthy, in other words, to have Jesus as your king, as your savior. In other words, we put out the, the impression that, that they are unsavable, but the scriptures tell us that that's not true. There is only one sin that you cannot be forgiven for, and that is the, the, the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is something that only an unbeliever can do, by the way. So if you're a believer and you're concerned that you've done that, that's, you don't have to be concerned about that if you're a believer. That, that's the only unforgivable sin. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But, but sometimes we are selfish with our king. Keeping folks away from our king because we make them feel that, oh, your sin is too much for Jesus. The scriptures tell us in Romans that we're sin abounded that grace super abounded and so yes jesus can be anyone's king he's available to all but also we can be selfish with our king jesus by making people feel like that they must have a certain background or look a certain way or be from a certain area in order to be included in god's kingdom But Jesus went around in the book of Mark, that first chapter in Mark and Jesus, his message was simple. He said, repent and believe the gospel. It doesn't matter what area you grew up in, what you look like. Oh, you can be a part of God's kingdom. Repent, believe the gospel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. He came, he, he died, he was buried, he rose again the scriptures tell us in the book of uh, Romans I believe it's chapter 4 verse 25 that he rose for our justification he rose in other words so that we can have a right standing with God and, and that's by faith but but another way we can be selfish with our king and unfortunately many of us as believers have been guilty about this but we can be selfish with our king by not ever sharing the gospel it's like we have this king. We're, we're enjoying all these blessings. We're enjoying this beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior. The lion from the tribe of Judah. We're enjoying this special relationship with him, but we want to keep them all to ourselves, being selfish with our king. So is that us? Are, are we selfish by not sharing the gospel as the worship team comes to the stage? You see, Jesus, he came to die for the sins of all people. There's no sin that he has not died for. There's no sin that he cannot wash away with his blood. There's no sin that you cannot be forgiven of. Jesus died for the sins of all people. Which is an indication, by the way, that he wants to be a king for all people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for creating us. And despite our flaws, despite our sin, you, you love us. You loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son to die for us. 
And whoever believes in him, in Jesus Christ, should not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life. We get to spend eternity with you, Father, through Jesus Christ. That is such a blessing. And so I pray for anyone, Lord, in this building or online who do not have a personal relationship with you through Christ. I pray for their spiritual blinders to be lifted. I pray, Lord, that you would tug on their heart. I pray that you would draw them to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would drown out the noise of the enemy around them, Lord, that wants to persuade them to stay away from Jesus. But I also pray for the believer who, whose walk is not as strong as it could be or should be. Father, I pray that you would convict him or her. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to that place of confession and repentance and praying that, the, that that fellowship would be restored. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you use them in a mighty way this week. And as we talk about not being selfish with Jesus, I pray that you would give us an extra dose of boldness this week. That you would open up doors this week for us to share the gospel. That you would purge out any fear or nervousness from our hearts, any timidity from our hearts that will prevent us from sharing the gospel with someone this week. And I pray, Lord, that as they leave this place, but not your presence, that you will bless them with traveling grace. And we pray that you'll be glorified, Lord, in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.